Welcome to Meta Talks. This podcast is brought to you by Meta. We support startups, industry, and government with sustainable technology-driven innovation. Here you will hear from amazing individuals on topics around startups, innovation, sustainability, and dive deeper into industries like aerospace or energy. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Will. I'm the co-founder and partner at Meta. And today I'm talking to Pippa Gawley. Pippa is the co-founder or one of the founders and one of the partners at Zero Carbon Capital, which is an early stage investor in companies that are on a mission to fix climate change through deep science innovation. Uh, She's got a really interesting background going back to the late 90s, early 2000s, starting her career in finance, moving into consumer-facing technology with eBay, relocating to the US, starting to angel invest, and then uh, coming back to the UK to set up the fund Zero Carbon Capital. We first met through the ATI Buying Accelerator, where she invested in one of our portfolio companies just before FICO Bloom joined the program. And I've been really excited or really looking forward to getting her um, on the podcast to find out a bit more about her story, her background, and what she and the fund team are doing at Zero Carbon Capital. So as always, thanks for checking the show. Um, You'll be able to find all the information about Pippa and the various activities she's involved in in the podcast description. And enjoy the show. Thank you very much for for being here. It would be great to get a kind of a quick intro to you and what you do, and then we'll dig into the background and and go more into what you're doing now later on. Great. So, hi, I'm Pippa Gawley. I'm the founder and managing director of Zero Carbon Capital, and we run the Zero Carbon Fund, which is an early stage investment fund supporting companies in the UK who are developing transformative scientific innovations that have the potential to reduce or avoid or capture half a gigaton of carbon dioxide at scale. So we are near the end of investing this first fund. We've uh, invested in six companies and we have three more currently in process. And um, we're just starting to, to think about a second fund. Awesome. We'll come back to Zero Carbon Capital in a bit, but it'd be really interesting to hear about your route into investing and then route into kind of venture capital, because I've, I've seen from your very storied background that it's it's taken steps to get to that process. Yeah, definitely. And I, I love talking about this because I think, especially when you're starting out in your career, you think everything's going to line up in a trajectory that, you know, <laughs> and you're going to go to, to this university and get this job and it's yeah. all going to lead in the same direction. And and for most people, it doesn't pan out like that. And that life is a, is a journey of discovering, you know, what you're interested in and where your passions are and, and what you're good at. And, and hopefully enjoying that that path. So, you know, definitely my, my career has gone, you know, all over the place. So, yeah, I studied engineering originally and I you know, really enjoyed that, but it was not a great time to go into manufacturing engineering at the, the end of the 90s. And I uh, kind of got sucked into retail finance, as so many other scientists do, sadly. And, you know, it was a really fantastic grounding in how to run a business, actually. So the, the, the company I worked for prided itself on its um, analytical skills. And it was very, you know, selling credit cards and making money is actually a very pure type of business. So really understanding, you know, what, what is what are, what are the different levers that you can pull to make a business profitable? So it was a great, it was a great grounding, really. We kind of talk about it like, like 
starting off your career with a with an MBA kind of practical. Yeah. But, you know, ultimately, I didn't love some of the seedier sides of credit cards and um, kind of left to go and work in um, internet technology, which, you know, really loved that. It was, you know, start of the 2000s, really fun time to be working um, in that field. And I really enjoyed working mostly in sort of management, management positions, working with experts who were you know, developing research to to inform the design of websites and services and then marrying that with the um, you know, commercial practicalities as well and kind of being that that synthesis you know I'm, I'm kind of going into that because I think it's it's really that was the skill set that I didn't realize at the time is actually perfectly fitted to investing as well because what I'm what I'm doing now is very much that so like kind of looking for the expert technical opinion thinking a lot about the, the commercial side as well kind of uh, taking a read on the on the human sto- side of the story too, and the, the skills that are needed to to deliver a business, um, and then you know analyzing across all of those and, and synthesizing that into a decision about is this a company that that we think can deliver that impact to the world, and you know that was how I found my way to to investment, but I you know it wasn't it wasn't an obvious route for me at all. I'd long believed in technology and business being powerful forces in the world that that could, you know, make the world a better place and not just be a source of evil. <laughs> but the idea of doing early stage investments to make that happen hadn't really, you know, occurred to me. And at this point we were um, living in California in Silicon Valley in the heart of venture capital. And it still hadn't occurred to me <laughs> that um, early stage investment could be a way to sort of get involved in the climate fight. And, you know, eventually the penny dropped. And uh, again, I, I'm, I talk about this a lot because I think there are a lot of people out there who would make great angel investors and it just hasn't really occurred to them that it's something that they they could or should you know, look at. So, you know, I, I really loved that part of my my journey into investing it felt like instantly i found this like tribe of people who thought the exact same way as me that they they wanted to make the world a better place they they believed in business and technology as being a, a mechanism to to make that happen in fact like the most important mechanism to to make that happen and they were you know smart business people who who also were very purpose driven and didn't see any you know conflict between those two things yeah and i think that was you know it was it was just such a relief to, to find all of those people because I think up till that point in my life um, there'd always been this emphasis on you know business and professionalism being this one thing and you know caring about the world being being a totally different thing and those two couldn't really meet and you know I love that the world has now kind of woken up to the fact that if you let people bring everything they care about to the workplace they'll do a much better job of it so yeah you know. enough. And in terms of your kind of discovery of investing, was that something that kind of happened while you were in Silicon Valley? And was that a deliberate move on your part? Or was it something that you kind of fell into and then discovered the the passion for it? Is it developed? Or what was that process like? Yes, it was. Um, I'd taken a few years off when our, our family was small. And so I was really looking for ways to get back into the working world, but not wanting to, to compromise on that desire to have that impact in the world. So I was really looking for the best way to achieve all those different goals, like, you know, wanting the intellectual stimulation and the, the social side and, you know, the, the purpose-driven side as well. And I tried, you know, various different things like, uh, you know, volunteering and studying and, you know, trying to work out like just what what 
that next step could be. And actually, it was my my um, husband one day said to me, "Look, why don't you take some capital and, and invest it in some of these companies that you're always you know banging on about?" Yeah. And I was like, "I oh, don't be ridiculous, you know. I'm not Melinda Gates, <laughs> you know." And, <laughs> and you know, then realised that it was something that that people did, and found found those people, and realised that it was a great match for my for my skill sets with a you know financial analytical background and a technical background. Yeah. And you know, just really loved it from that point on, and sort of tried to figure out how I could learn the most about that world and took a learning by doing approach of, um, you know, finding investors who are more experienced, but like-minded and piggybacking on their due diligence and their deals and really learning by observing them and then starting to get more confidence and branching out and finding my own deals and um, bringing other angel investors along with me. And then when we moved back to the UK, I just really wanted to scale that to have that more of that impact, to be able to help companies more significantly beyond what an angel can can achieve. And yeah, set up the zero carbon fund. Yeah. And so are you are you still angel investing while investing through the fund as well or no, the the fund has kind of sucked up all our resources. Yeah. You know, financially and human capital. So that's what we're we're focused on at the moment. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule it out again in the future because it is it's really fun. <laughs> and uh in many ways it's uh you know, it's a lot easier and quicker than you know, fund investing. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's there's scope that would pick that up again in the future, but for now, you know, we're 100% focused on on uh, investing through the fund. Yeah. And and in terms of your kind of learnings going from angel investing to fund investing, has there been anything that you've taken from either to help the other or Yeah, so we I've tried to take the same like ambition and vision from angel investing. You know, again, I was very infected with the 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 Californian entrepreneurial spirit and the idea that, you know, everything could be solved with a business. And yes, that business can grow really fast and, you know, be massive and be impactful and do do good things in the world. Uh, you know, that's that's a sort of mindset that we we don't see a lot of in the UK. Yeah. So, you know, we we're trying to to bring some of that thinking and, you know, find those entrepreneurs who who have that ambition and that vision and support them. So, you know, the way we look at the climate crisis, you know, we don't have the luxury of tinkering around the edges and looking at transitional solutions or, you know, things that are, you know, 10% better than what we have at the moment. We have to get to zero and we have to do it as quickly as we can. So, you know, we're, we're looking for people who who believe they can do that. Okay. So yeah, let's talk about the fund. As you've you've mentioned, it's a, a climate and kind of sustainability investment vehicle. You've done six investments, you've got another three on the go, and you're just about to come up to fund two. Why sustainability? Why climate change? Why now? Mm. We see it as the the challenge of our generation to to fix. You know, this we've been knowingly messing up the world for fifty years and unknowingly, you know, perhaps for another hundred before that. And you know, I feel that we can't look our children and grandchildren in the eye and say, you know, yeah, we knew about it and we just kept going. We are going all out to try and do everything we can to to fix the way that we produce things, the way we travel, the, what we eat, how we live yeah. uh, in a way that will preserve the earth as being viable for human life for for future generations. Because the way we're going about it right now, it, it won't be. It's not. Yeah. yeah, and I, I can't really think of a more important challenge to to face. But it's interesting. So you know, I do I do see this as a as a humanitarian crisis, 
you know, I think I think the earth will be just fine, right? <laughs> like just it's us, us it's us that we're we're wiping off yeah. the surface here. So yeah, it's a difficult one to kind of wrap your head around watching it happen and watch the the perverse incentives and the vest, vested interests that that have got us to this point. And we we feel hugely optimistic that you know the super tanker is kind of slowing down and perhaps turning a little bit. Yeah. But there's so much more work to be done. We focus our investments on areas where we're hitting, you know, what Bill Gates calls the green premium. So it shouldn't cost more to have an electric car. It shouldn't cost more to have a, you know, hamburger that doesn't cost the earth. It shouldn't cost more to have green energy. And in a lot of cases right now, it does. So technology innovation is a source of um, equaling that that playing field so that there isn't a trade-off and that everybody can afford to make the, the right choices, or, you know, good choices. And there's such enormous scope to actually, you know, make this new world more efficient and cheaper and better on every single metric one could choose. So, you know, we we see there being, you know, a world where making these good choices is is easy because they're the cheapest ones as well as yeah. the best ones. And you've got the choice. Yes. In terms of the kind of the six investments that you've done so far, given that you're going or investing in companies that are right at the kind of the bleeding edge of absolutely everything, how do you go around kind of validating the investment kind of sense checking it with the experts all that kind of stuff mm. yeah so that's it's a good question yeah you know, my husband and I um, so my husband's my my business partner on the fund we both have you know scientific backgrounds but you know we're not PhD chemists and we're not trying to make out like we we are uh, I think we know enough to be dangerous in, in most areas <laughs> but we really love learning about the technology so you know that's kind of our first test for the entrepreneurs it's like if they can explain their technology to us well and you know getting across to them that you know being a, a a CEO um, in this space will mean learning to be a great science educator as well, because that's what they have to do to get investors on board. So, you know, that's that's, uh, the first stage of that journey. And then we uh, work with various technical due diligence experts in different spaces. As you say, we're working in direct air capture or alternative proteins or battery chemistries. You know, nobody's an expert in all of those things. So we've identified a sort of bench of specialists that we can go to to, to help us evaluate these opportunities. And we work with other investors as well who are like-minded, a lot in the US, some in Europe, who who can help us, you know, with with their perspectives and the, the challenges that they see in the technology that, you know, hopefully we can co-invest with or they might be follow-on investors after the company's got to a certain traction point. Yeah. So, you know, it's quite a collaborative community. Yeah. And we, we kind of touched on it when we had our last discussion, but from the outside kind of looking in there don't seem to be a huge amount of kind of venture capital funds at this stage so they're kind of the early early-ish stages yeah looking at this kind of super hard super challenging area whether that's from a kind of a product point of view or from an investment point of view because it's such a capital intensive process either they, they just don't have the the capital to be able to take it through to whatever the exit event is or it's cheaper to go and fund the next Uber for hamsters. Yes. What's that process been like in terms of establishing the fund as as one of the few in Europe? Yeah. But also what what it's been like finding the the kind of the co-investors in that community of other like-minded investors. Yeah, and I, you know, I think we were lucky to start off in in the US with our investments because there are many more hard climate tech funds there at various different stages of the sort of capital spectrum so i think we came to the uk just believing that they would be here and then we couldn't couldn't find them so you know and in since we we kicked off you know there are now many more climate specific funds 
and you know climate specific bits of much bigger funds and VCs in the UK but like all of them are focused on you know digital opportunities so SaaS AI you know websites apps and you know the ones that will touch hard tech they're, they're looking more at the hardware side of things which are kind of lower valuation and lower risk and quicker time to market. So you know, better EV chargers or something like that, which is not to diminish how important that is. You know, th- those are, you know, technologies that we we absolutely need. Just it's not the ones that are going to get us to zero fast. <laughs> it's, you know, it's part of the picture. And, and I guess we're, we're focused on that sort of 10 years out kind of horizon to say, right, that's great. We, we know how to make EV chargers. We know how to make solar panels. We know how to to do these things that we should just get on and do right now. And the government should be really pushing that. And there are investors who are willing to take on those lower risk areas. So we're focused on that, that kind of higher risk, potentially much higher return, slightly further out type technology. Hmm. What's your kind of experience been so far, either in the UK or just kind of full stop of the kind of the government or policy support for this space? Because obviously, as you say, it's um it's a rather big challenge that affects all of us. Mm. Some form of policy support or, or kind of incentive to get everyone doing better is surely kind of needed or more of it is needed. Yeah, absolutely. We need way more and we need it way faster. Yeah. You know, look, I, I lived through the Trump years in America. So we're obviously, we're doing a lot better than many countries. <laughs> but, you know, this is not an area where a lot better is is okay enough. or enough. My personal opinion is that the gov- our government is very good at talking about net zero and then not properly backing it up. It's fantastic that we've made some of these commitments, legally binding commitments. But then then we go and approve a coal mine. I mean, the things do not compute. So, you know, especially in this year where we we have COP26 happening on our, our shores, you know, yeah. it's we're still making some incredibly embarrassing decisions and saying some incredibly embarrassing things. And we are, you know, our, our own government funded evaluations show that we are we're nowhere near being on course for even like not very ambitious guidelines and you know milestones you know again there are lots of things that give us hope <laughs> we see the consumer pressure we see the the, the corporates are picking up on that and you know they're starting to to make h- harsher targets for themselves than than governments are putting in place you know the regulatory environment you know a lot of the companies that are creating these emissions are global so they will tend to look at globally at who, whoever's got the tightest regulations yeah. and then that kind of is infectious as well so you know we we said a 2030 or, you know, 2035 um, limit on petrol cars and other countries do the same. We bring it forward five years. You know, it is it is a virtuous cycle that the governments and the companies and the consumers um, and the shareholders are all sort of reinforcing each other in, in that um, gradual, you know, tightening of activities. But, you know, I think, I think our government could and should be moving a lot faster in certain policy areas. I think the, the the grants in the UK for the kind of companies we're working for are are pretty pretty good. Yeah. You know, I think the the structure with the competitions and the you know the way that companies um, need to form consortia to get bigger grants and have to raise match funding. I think all of that you know it's it's onerous and we see that uh, it can be slow, but generally I think you know every company we've invested in has managed to get some money out of the government in some shape or form and some of them quite spectacular amounts so you know that's that is i think that system is broadly working i think there's lots of false positives but i think that's probably the aside i would like the government to be erring on 
but yeah, I think it's I think it's more the bigger policy areas that I'd like to see the government doing more work on. Mm-hmm. You know, when we see something like um, the tax credits you can get in the US for sequestering carbon or a more vigorous and more onerous carbon tax are the two most obvious examples that ju- jump to mind. But, you know, really using government, the power of the government purchasing to to do more with the you know, getting that kind of mainstream thinking caught up yeah. with where we need to be. Yeah. And one last kind of thought on that area. Obviously, a lot of the companies that you're looking at or have invested in are very science heavy or research heavy or academic heavy. How's your experience been of kind of working with the UK kind of spin out ecosystem? Is there anything that's impressed you there or anything that you think needs improving? I mean, yeah, it's you're, you're absolutely right. A lot of the companies we're working with are spin-outs. And there are some things that are enormously better about the UK ecosystem. I don't want to sound like I'm just being down on it, but um, this is one area where, you know, again, coming from the US and looking at what universities like Stanford are doing for their spin-outs. And then you see what we have the best universities in the world here. And <laughs> you see what they're doing to their spin-outs, um, like the amount of equity they want to take. And then like, just how they drag things out and um, they just don't have that mindset of like you know the best thing I can do for this IP is let this company form and grow as quickly as humanly possible yeah. and let's help them on that journey so you know again I think that that is an area that that we would love to see uh, reformed in the UK and it's interesting how you know as we get more successful technology companies, scientific-based companies that um, have taken a strong stand against their university, that does tend to, to break them. Like we saw that happen in the, the Bristol ecosystem with some some pharma spin-outs uh, where they've been able to go back and really you know, show that, you know, that the universities just can't take th- that large percentage of a company and expect the founders to be correctly incentivized. Yeah. So, you know, there were, there were many groups in the UK as well that are helping companies to um, to set up and sort of um, spin out in a more venture builder model. And I, you know, I, I think it's possible that, again, as universities see those companies being successful, that they'll realise, you know, that they need to, to change their models too. Yeah, setting the precedent. You kind of touched on it earlier with the, the discovering your investment tribe of kind of matching the professional and personal passions. In terms of kind of the next generation of angel investors who then go on to become fund managers and start looking at investing in sustainability and climate and the kind of the bigger challenges that we're facing, do you think that kind of combination and also that ability, as you kind of said earlier as well, as as kind of realizing those pretty significant financial wins with backing the really kind of hard uh, opportunities or the the kind of the big risks? Do you think that's that's going to become more of a an accepted thing or more of a discussed thing kind of moving forward? Yeah, I, I think I mean I think it will. I, I think it already is. You know, again, we're we're behind the US here when we look at the huge funds, which, you know, they may be started with something slightly philanthropic in mind by a tech billionaire, but they've got proper legit LPs behind them as well. And pension funds and, you know, <laughs> government support. And, you know, when when you see some of the numbers that that are being achieved by by those funds and how quickly the companies are able to grow when they've got that kind of support you know you look at something like the breakthrough fund breakthrough energy ventures in the US and um you know there are there are several funds in that same sort of um corner who are backing mostly hard tech big climate bets we will start to see the world shift in that direction i think for 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 as people get that that particular memo i think there's there's still lack of risk appetite here i think there's um there's a lot of you know vcs who are thinking a bit more like you know private equity 
funds and they're they're a little bit more like right, we want to see customers and sales and you know mo- like modest growth to a modest valuation rather than you know yes we you might be pre-revenue but we see how this is going to be enormous and I'm willing to make that bet. So I think, you know, that kind of venture thinking, um, yeah, obviously there are some funds doing that in the UK, but it's not the mainstream. So yeah, I, I definitely think that will will start to shift. Yeah. Just just taking time. Yes. Whether we've got the time or not. Well, yes. And I, you know, it's the, the this is part of the reason why we're doing what we're doing. It's like I think the UK deserves a, a climate tech fund <laughs> that is able to write bigger checks that can support these companies otherwise we're going to lose them yeah. the, the good ones they'll go to the us or they'll hop across to europe and yeah we'll lose those jobs we'll use lose that technology and that will have you know implications for our economy and for our universities and you know it's it's important yeah. to to try and keep to try and keep that in this country and to try and have entrepreneurs think that they can grow their companies here i mean if we can't do that yeah and if you've got the brain drain you don't have then the successful entrepreneurs who've made it big and made it well funding the ecosystem starting again yes exactly with their support and advice and yeah. and their angel investments exactly yeah so you're, you're coming to the end of fund one you're starting to look at fund two with the investors that you're discussing for fund two is that uk or international or is it kind of a mix of both or uh it's it's a mix mostly international okay so we we have a, a uk focus and some people <laughs> see that as a as a strength <laughs> and uh, some not. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of the US funds, a lot of US investors won't won't touch the UK. You know, they've got their sweetie shop over there. They don't need to, to come here. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of European investors are, you know, some, again, Brexit, they're not willing to come here, but some are, you know. So, you know, I think we're, we're trying to find those investors who see the, the kind of this unique period of time and what we have in the UK as being an opportunity set and that, you know, there will be companies with lower valuations here, but that are going to be appealing to a global audience. So yeah. that, that corporates will be interested in, that, that global funds will be interested in once they get to a certain stage. You know, I think we'd, we'd, we welcome investors from from anywhere. You know, I think we have network in the US and we're kind of, we're finding other international investors who are interested in in supporting what what we have here in the UK. Yeah. And of the six uh, investments that you've done so far, talk us through some of them. We we obviously have a shared passion in FICO Bloom. Yes. Yeah, so that's that's how we met yeah. um, with uh, with FICO Bloom, who are um, genetically modifying algae to make biofuels more efficient and sustainable. So their particular target is this, this sustainable aviation fuel market. So, you know, aviation is responsible for about 3% of global emissions. You know, we're not going to stop flying, right? We're, we're going to, as a as a species, want to continue to fly. And aviation is, is not suited, uh, long-haul aviation is not suited to being powered by batteries at this point um, and for the foreseeable future. There are obvious issues with, with the hydrogen as well, although some companies are going down that route. But, you know, sustainable liquid fuels seems to be the most viable route for the next 30 years or so. Yeah, for the short term. For for aviation. So there is a lot of companies who are looking at this and looking at all kinds of different solutions like synthetic fuels, e-fuels, and various different ways of making biofuels. And Vico Bloom are looking at 
algae to, as my son would put it, poop out the uh, the, the the jet fuel. That's the technical explanation. Yes, it's the technical technical yeah. term. So, so uh, yeah, those guys are you know really the, at the cutting edge of what you can do with um with synthetic biology, and you know uh, it's an interesting one to talk about because um. You know, there's been algae biofuels uh, kind of in conversation for 10 or more years, and they all totally failed um, because the economics, the techno-economics were just dismal. Um, so hopefully, you know, John and Ian are training the algae to to be more efficient. That's the that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. You met those guys on EF or during EF? Uh, actually, we met them through a, a mutual acquaintance okay. who is another clean tech investor. And then we watched them as they went through EF and invested in them as they as they span out of that. Yeah. I graduated from that. Yeah. And uh, your your kind of process for finding prospective investees is that is that recommendations kind of network. I mean, it's almost all warm introductions, um, and we try and cast as wide a net as possible because we're aware of the issues of network bias in, in VC. Yeah. So, you know, we we have a an entrepreneur page on our website that anybody can can submit anything through, and we we go to every pitch event we can find. We talk to every accelerator that's even slightly relevant. We talk to universities, other funds, you know, every intermediary out there. So we you know, we try and have a wide net, but at the end of the day. Virtually all of our investments have come through warm introductions from other investors who either they're like-minded and we're going to invest together or they've seen them and it's not a fit for them because it's too early or too edgy and they've they've known that it would be good for us. So um, that's that's the case with, with FICO Bloom. Yeah, awesome. So you, you're an early stage investor going through the kind of the company life cycles and you build the networks for the follow-on investors or you you having the capacity to do follow-on is that going to be part of the kind of the the thesis thesis for fund two is kind of being able to support the portfolio as they continue to scale given it's probably going to take them some time to scale yes i mean fund fund one was kind of limited by because we didn't have a fund track record yeah. we were raising mostly from personal and professional networks so people who are willing to take a bet on us and um, trusted us and believed in in our vision so you know we thought like close that invest it get the track record, move on, raise a bigger fund. Um, So next fund's going to be bigger, which is working out how much bigger. But we feel like, you know, for a long time, we feel like we've been sort of paddling ahead of the wave um, and saying, look, it's coming. It's definitely coming. Like, you know, let's invest in this stuff now. It's coming. And the wave's here now. And I feel like we, we have to make the most of that. And we wouldn't be serving the companies as well as we could if we didn't try and be a bit more ambitious with this raise um now that we have you know fairly substantial track record our angel investments in the us are doing well so we think we have a good story around our ability to find and and choose and support these companies so yeah we we want to continue to be able to follow on with this existing portfolio and we want to stay in the market finding finding new opportunities of similar kind of companies we want to keep our focus on the pre-seed and seed stage companies but even with that you know the valuations are starting to go up yeah the amount of capital required uh, you know it's we would have liked to have been able to write a bigger check with most of the companies that we've invested in from this fund and if we had been able to do that we could have saved the entrepreneurs a lot of time in these kind of protracted <laughs> trying to find any other investors in the UK that were willing to take this bet. Yeah. So, you know, we would like to be able to just speed things up and make life a bit easier for the, the, these entrepreneurs and, you know, speed up those rounds. So 
we want to be able to write bigger checks. We want to be able to follow on this existing portfolio and we want to continue to, to find and support great early stage companies. So, you know, we're not planning to lead, you know, Series A rounds. We would still want to work with other investors as the companies get bigger, keep our focus on the early stage. But yeah, we would like to be able to to, to make larger investments. Yeah. And if you're happy talking about it, it'd be really interesting mm. to kind of go through how you actually kind of set up fund one yes given you were kind of transitioning from personal investments into let's make a fund yes yeah with yes yeah, so with fund one we chose the eis route so yeah. um for those uh who are listening who aren't familiar with that that's the um enterprise investment scheme which is a tax relief intended for individual investors in the uk and it's a very wonderful thing it enables angel investors to get you know to protection from upside from downside and to get relief on the upside so it is it is great and it's possible to structure funds to take advantage of this relief as well and that's that's what we did because we were raising from individuals and so we know you know in the UK if you're talking to individuals and you don't have EIS it's 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 a limited conversation so you know with with this second fund we're aiming to raise most of the money more from slightly larger put pools of, of capital, so more like family offices and some perhaps some institutional capital as well. So we're we're choosing to go down the LPGP route, which enables us to, you know, to, to talk to have have greater credibility with those larger investors and also more international investors. I mean, we did have some US family offices involved in Fund One um, and explaining EIS and the fund structure to them was was not was was it was hard again it was only really people who we had strong connections with that were willing to kind of wade through that marsh so you know that's why we're choosing a different route for for the second fund yeah so i'm a vc scout for one of the funds in the uk and there's a lot Mm. of the scouts who are going through the kind of the angel investment process to then figure out whether they want to be fund managers and the mechanics of doing that is still pretty tricky for a first-time fund manager yeah yeah, it is, and we worked with a with an investment manager called Sapphire, who uh, who are awesome, and they really helped us with all of the FCA regulatory side and with a lot of the sort of back office part of fund management. So again, we've learned a lot by um, working with them, and you know, help help to make it sure that you know we're not crossing any boundaries or breaking yeah. any rules that we weren't aware of. So you know, we're just again working out the right structure there for, on the regulatory side for for the second fund. Awesome. In terms of kind of what's happening next, obviously closing fund two, finding more mm. awesome companies to to kind of invest in. How can people kind of get involved or get in touch? Or if their investors talk about investing, what's yeah, yeah, please get in touch. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we're fairly fairly easy to find on the internet, and yeah, we'd love to talk to any investors who are interested, or anybody that knows any investors that might be interested. So if you know, you know, a family office in particular, I think is like going to be our sweet spot for this fund that is interested in, in you know getting into the space and as part of their portfolio wants to have something that's looking at these um, hard tech you know higher risk bigger bang companies then you know please do do put us in touch and anybody out there who is not an investor but perhaps 
uh, is part of the ecosystem where they're seeing interesting companies form, then again, please point them in a direction and, you know, just encourage the the entrepreneurs to keep going. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, anybody else that's, you know, uh, just interested in uh, in this space and kind of wants to learn more about it, then, you know, we try and share quite broadly, mostly on Twitter, like interesting articles, events that we think are, are useful for people who are in the kind of climate tech investing ecosystem so you know please please follow us there awesome yeah we'll put all the links in the podcast description so check those out just one final thing to kind of wrap up do you have any advice for either aspiring fund managers or for entrepreneurs looking to build the next big thing in climate or sustainability Mm -hmm. yes for the fund managers i think you know, I think if this is something that appeals to you, I mean, it is it is a difficult journey. And I think, um, unfortunately, it's the case that I think a lot of people get off, get put off because you need money to set up a fund, you know, wh- whether it's an EIS fund or an, an LPGP fund. Generally, uh, investors are looking for you to have a, you know, a GP commitment. And you're going to be looking at a fairly large amount of time when you're fundraising where you may not be able to you know have any salary or and you will be on the hook for costs and fees so you know generally you need to have your own money or have somebody that's willing to bankroll you and that's does make it quite hard for people to to get set up here i wish that there was a way around that and that you know perhaps some kind of accelerator for fund managers which uh, supports them to develop their thesis and spin out that would be a great great offering to the world so you know again just keep going and make sure you've got a really clear investment thesis that is differentiated and potentially valuable. And it's actually quite similar advice to the entrepreneurs because, you know, I think there is more support out there for entrepreneurs in terms of, you know, accelerators and grants and so forth that will help you get off the ground. But, you know, again, it can be a long and difficult and badly funded road. So, you know, keep going, uh, make sure you're really clear about what your value proposition is and really develop that story. If you're if you're not clear on that, then you won't get investment and you won't get customers. And, you know, if you can't explain it to, you know, your nine-year-old son and <laughs> or, you know, your grandmother, then probably aren't ready to talk to investors either. So, you know, keep keep working on that story and on that value proposition. And if it's not clicking with people, then you probably need to go back and, you know, rejig what you're doing um, until it does fit. Awesome. Well, I think that's everything from my side. Is there anything else you would like to mention or you think we should talk about? I just wanted to give a shout out as well to a like side project that I'm doing with um, two other female clean tech investors called 513. So it's aimed at supporting women clean tech entrepreneurs. It's a fairly appallingly small amount of venture capital that ends up in women-led businesses. And this is something that we're, we're trying to correct, again, that, that network bias by um, circulating information about uh, female-led clean tech companies. So if you are female entrepreneur, please go check us out, 513.org. And if you are an investor who's interested in finding more women-led companies, please go and sign up for the newsletter. Awesome. We'll put links to that in the description as well. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time and look forward to seeing what happens with Fun2 and your portfolio. Thanks so much for your time, Will, and thanks for inviting us on the podcast. Awesome. Thanks for listening. For more information about Meta and the work we do, head to our website, meta.partners. 
there you'll be able to find links to our blog, the company LinkedIn page, and more information about the team as well. If you have any questions about today's episode or suggestions for future shows, our Twitter handle is at MetaTalks, all one word, and you'll also be able to find the team there as well. We'll be back with a new episode of the podcast, MetaTalks, sometime soon. So until next time, have a good one.